Welcome back to Shut the Hell Up and Sell the Podcast. My name is Ronnell Richards, the author of Shut the Hell Up and Sell. And your host for this journey is, you know, as, as we bring in some sales leaders, rock stars, veterans, I hope you guys have been enjoying this podcast because it's been rapid fire. I, I've had the, the, the fortunate, um, just joy and benefit and honor to be able to bring in some of the, the, the leaders in sales, not just in the United States, but globally, we've been bringing some folks in and they've been sharing their truth. They've been vulnerable and it's been, man, it's been a blast. So if you have not listened to any other podcast, I know this one's going to be a really popular one because we've got a guy on here who's a freaking rock star. Make sure you, you, you check out the previous podcasts as well. Like, like go ahead and bend some of these, man, because it's just wisdom bombs like rapid fire. So, you know, with that said, no further ado, I'm getting into it, man, because I got a guy like, you know, in the in the music industry, we've got like Beyonce, we got like, yay, we got like Cher, um, but in the sales world, we got JB, we got JB John Barrows, what's going on, my man? What's up, bro? I'm, I'm, I'm good, yeah, I like this chair, I like the chair analogy. I know, right? <laughs> hey, it's the truth, though. Hey, people, JB, there's only one JB in this business, and that is you. Um, so I want to welcome you on, man. Um, you're you're someone that has, um, that has shown a lot of courage in this business. You've been trailblazing. You're someone that inspires people, that people look up to, not just from a standpoint of sellers um, that are looking to up their sales game, but people like myself that are coaches and consultants and everything that that um just looking this and seeing how you've conducted yourself how you've how you've built your brand over the years has been an inspiration to many including myself so i want to thank you for that brother thanks man i appreciate that i, I, I do what i can to to elevate this profession and i appreciate what you're doing to do it thank as well. you sir so check this out like um before we get into this, I, you know, I got to give you a little bit of, I got to give you a, 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 I've got a little, let's just put it this way. I got a little issue with you right now. A little issue. Cause I look over your damn shoulder and every time I see your face, I, my, my, my eyes are drawn to what is over your shoulder there. And, um, as an Atlanta Falcons fan, it just, Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's that. I don't think that wound's ever going to heal, man. The Patriots. <laughs> Look, like everybody gives us shit now for not being as good, and I'll take it because I got 20 years in my backpack of the best football ever anybody's ever Ain't watched. That the truth? And I don't care what you say. That was that Super Bowl was when everybody waved the white flag on Brady. Everybody was like, "All right," even if you were a hater, you were like, "Okay, okay, game's over." Like he he just took it. There's there's no second. So, so yeah, I I, I am sorry. that. I qualify. For, I'm that guy. Yes, I was a hater. Right. We were a house full of haters, and that day. Yep. It's it's one of those days that I will never ever forget. Let me tell you something, John. We were we were literally planning our route to the parade. <laughs> it's halftime. I'm sitting in a in a friend's house. There's like 50 of us in there. And we're like, hey, listen, so um, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the kids out of school, then we're gonna take Marta and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and we literally were planning our route to the parade, and then that asshole did what he did. <laughs> And nope. ripped our heart out. No, did you ever? Do you ever hear what Kyle Porter, the bet that Kyle Porter and no. I had? 
So Kyle Porter sales loft, right? Like, so we've been friends since, since the beginning of both of us. And we put a bet on that game early. Right. And, and the bet was, uh, what, what was it? Um, Rainmaker, his conference was coming up. Right. And it was going to be after that. And we said, all right, whoever loses has to wear the other team's Jersey up on stage when they're presenting. Right. And so at halftime, and I'm not even joking at halftime, I'm on Amazon. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what Falcons Jersey I got to buy. I'm like, God, man, this is going to suck. I'm like, I'm going to have to stand up in in front of three, 4,000 people with a a Falcons in Atlanta. I'm like, this is just going to be brutal. Right. And then bing, bang, boom. I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) So I brought, I brought my Brady Jersey. It's, it's actually an autographed Jersey by Brady. Right. And uh, to the to the show, and I do my presentation, and then I was like, right off, right before I got off the stage, I was like, oh, hold on, I was like, I got a special little uh, little guest here that we need to bring up on stage, and Kyle like starts to try to sneak out the back. I was like, uh uh uh, I'm like, come up on here and take your medicine, right? And so he comes up on stage, and I and I put this, you know, he has to put the Brady jersey on, and I had three thousand people booing the shit out of me. People were like, boo, I'm like, yup. <laughs> so it was fun. And you man. have it, it on video. Jesus. Oh, wow. yeah. Got a video. I got a picture of it. Everything. Wow. <laughs> you know, I used to really like you and respect you, man. But, you know, <laughs> now I see what type of winner you are. Okay. <laughs> hey, I don't, but I would have won it, man. I, I, I come through on my bets, but I also hold people accountable for their bets. Like, you ain't going to, you ain't going to jump out on me. <laughs> you if you, you brought Kyle on St. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, well, hey, you know, first thing, okay. So let's, let's just hop in real quick. If you could just tell folks, how you're impacting the world of sales. Tell them a little bit about what, about what it is that you do, please. Yeah. I mean, look right now, you know, sales training uh, for the most part, but I share a lot of content out there just, you know, I've, I've always been one to try to cut through all the noise, right? Like, you know, one of the things I, one of the reasons I never wanted to be a sales trainer was because, um, most sales trainers I had come across up until I got into this were either failed sales professionals or professional mm. presenters, mm. right? Like they were, they were people that, that could talk a good game. I mean, you all, you know, the rule, you know, the saying, right. If you can't do mm-hmm. it, teach it. Right. So, and that's what happens. A lot of people get into it and they're really good at, at explaining to people. But to me, this is a game that if you're not playing it, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to listen mm. to you. Tell me how mm. to do it, especially now because it's, it's, things are changing so fast. There's so much new tech out there. There's everything's evolving faster than I've ever seen personally. So if you were in the game, you know, selling 10 years ago, even five years ago and have not been actively selling, I I have a hard time listening to you right now because what worked six months ago is not working Mm -hmm. anymore. And so you got to be on the front line. So I, I sell every day, you know, I got my own quota. I'm out there grinding. I mean, I put a post out there on LinkedIn you know, when, when things started falling out, you know, in January, I put my sales hat, like hardcore sales hat back on. I've never, I, you know, I never stopped selling, but you know, like full grind yeah. sales. And so January, I put my hat back on and went to work. And, you know, I think I drove like, it was 49 meetings, uh, 49 sales calls in, in, in February. Right. And so I translate that to people in ways, right. I work dedicated with clients, but then I share a lot of content. We got a platform that people can join. Individual members can join and they can get access to all the stuff that we do. Uh, and the live sessions I do and everything else. So just trying to do my part, man, to, to elevate the profession here by sharing content out there that, that works and is relevant. Well, and you're doing it, man, with 979 million LinkedIn followers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm creeping up on 400. I'm creeping up. On, I'm, I'll do a little celebration when we get 400 followers. No, it's, that, is, that is very impressive, and it speaks to the impact that, that you're making and how you make people feel. Um, 
and 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 the, the sort of value that you're bringing and that's what we're all about that's what shut the hell up and sell is all about that's what i'm all about man like not none of the superficial shit what i love about what you just said is that you are a practitioner um it, it's it's totally different and this that i give an example in the book um john where i talk about a baker right and you know someone that gets a recipe as opposed to someone that understands the ingredients holistically if i've got to churn the butter if i've got to mill the flour my understanding of the ingredients is just way different it's just at a whole nother level yeah. so um you my friend are one of those folks so hey i want to know what your first sales gig was where did it start and, and don't tell me like you know paper boy and all yeah i know we all are paper paper boys and lemonade yeah. stands like when yeah. was the first time that you got a check to sell i mean i would say waiter was was that but I, I would say like my first formal sales job and i never wanted i never thought about sales as a career right just like everybody else i mean i'm 47 years old right so 27 years ago when i was graduating college there wasn't really any degrees in sales it was you, you didn't know about it. It was, it was still to this day, it's the default profession. And so when I graduated with my marketing degree, I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really like the options out there. So I came across DeWalt. So DeWalt Power Tools, uh, they, I, I went to University of Maryland and uh, Black & Decker, who owns DeWalt, recruits pretty heavily out of, out of University of Maryland. And it was, it was this new group that was called the, the Swarm Team. And what it was, was this new group of people that they were putting in different territories and you got a Dodge Ram pickup truck with a bed full of tools and your job is to drive around to construction sites and, and basically evangelize DeWalt power tools, right? Run shows and all that stuff. And it was, it was a cool transition for me for sales because it wasn't hardcore sales. Like all I really had to do, I mean, I learned a lot about selling in that, in that environment, but what I really had to do was just go evangelize it. So I'd drive around to construction sites and be like, Hey, uh, I see you're using that Makita drill. Have you ever tried the DeWalt version of that? Why don't you check it out? Give me some feedback. And that's really where I kind of caught the bug of what sales was mm -hmm. to me. It wasn't about, you know, the, the stuff that I had heard of. It was about helping people out and solve problems and, and also understanding real needs of the clients as opposed to just going straight to mm -hmm. the top. You know, one of my big learning lessons from that was, you know, a lot of my reps or a lot of the teammates, right? When we would get on a job site, they would go straight to the foreman. Right. They would go straight up to the forum and be like, look at this. And look, we were all educated on the drill. Right. And, oh, this has metal gears and the Makita has plastic and all like the inside shit. Right. Whatever. But they would try to go to the foreman and pitch that like, oh, well, our drills are better because of these feature function bullshit stuff. Right. And I just, and I, look, I've always played around with tools. I like tools, right? And I love DeWalt tools, but I didn't know, like, I didn't, I'm not like a hard, I'm a home tool user. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a construction site mm -hmm. user. And so what I would do is, in, while everybody else would go straight to the foreman, I would, I would look at the construction workers. I'd roll up on site and I'd be like, yo, um, you know, I'd just sit down next to a guy, bring lunch or something like that. I'd be like, hey, I noticed you're using the Makita version of this. Um, have you ever tried the DeWalt, right? Well, no. I'd be like, you know what, why don't you do, could you do me a favor? I'm like, I'm going to give you this tool that you can just beat the ever living shit out of for the next week or so. And then you, would you mind if I came back and I just asked you some questions about what you thought about it and you know, that type of stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Right. You're going to give me a free tool. Great. So I'd leave and then I'd come back and I'd just sit down and have lunch with him and talk to him. He'd be like, oh man, this thing's so much better because it doesn't burn out and I don't get a blister anymore and this, that, you know, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. 
And then I would take that knowledge and then I would go to the foreman and be like, hey, I've been talking to a bunch of your, your, your guys here and they're telling us that they're getting blisters with this drill. It's crapping out after this. And, and I gave them the DeWalt version for a couple of weeks and it, it's actually solved a lot of those mm-hmm. problems. So I was curious, you, would you be open to picking up some DeWalt next time you go for a purchase, right? And they'd be like, my guys, like, you tell me my guys like it better than that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll do that, right? So it was like kind of that bottom up mm-hmm. approach that I learned that, and it was one of my 12 guiding principles, which is you can learn something from everybody. I don't care what yeah. role they're in. Right. So that's why like reps who try to skip through gatekeepers or blast through gatekeepers or trick them or something like that. Like you got to slow down because the amount of knowledge you can learn from, you know, gain from that individual. It, if you work with them, right. Is, is invaluable to get to the right. Wow. Person. What I heard there, man, is that you learned something early on that it takes a lot of other people you know, a lot longer to learn, which is the, the, the power of, of influencers. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and so those guys, while they may not have been the direct purchaser of the product, they were clearly very strong influencers. You skipped over something yep. really quick as you were about to tell your, your story of your first sales gig. You said that, um, you were a server and I find oh, yeah. that so many great salespeople started in the service industry. Why do you think that is? Yep. Well, cause I think you have to, you have to understand that, you know, that you have to be, I don't want to say a chameleon, right? Cause you got to be you. And I think authenticity matters more than almost anything, but you have to put your ego aside. Sometimes you have to know that, you know, especially as a waiter, for me, you know, I, I made a very direct connection to the harder I work, the more I got paid. The nicer I was, the more I got paid. The more I helped the client make, you know, the client, you know, the customer make better decisions and enjoy their experience, the more I got paid, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't about like tricking people into anything. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why you laid that foundation. Because if you try to, you know, if somebody asks you as a, hey, what's your favorite thing on your menu? And you drop the most expensive thing in there because you think that's going to get you the biggest tip, you'll actually get way less of a tip because nine times out of 10, they ain't going to choose that because they know what you're doing, right? But if you're genuine and you're like, actually, you know what? Out of all this stuff, I know like the filet is like the but you know, this, this dish over here, you actually get the filet too, and it's half the price and whatever, you know what I mean? So when you do that, people double up their tips for you. They, they go out of their way and, and they're pleasant, right? And you also learn how to deal with very unpleasant mm-hmm. people. And you can't just tell them to go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Cause you'll get fired. Right. And so you have to adjust, you have to learn how to, you know, bite your tongue every once in a while and try to turn a bad situation into a good one. Sometimes stuff that you didn't have any control over, right? Sometimes the kitchen's way backed mm-hmm. up, right? The, the, the chef screws up the, the meal or whatever it is, and you have to be the face to the customer, right? When you're behind the scenes, you don't have to worry about that stuff too much. When you're in, account, when you're in accounting, when you're in marketing, when you're in, when you're in a non-customer-facing role, you don't, you don't get to see the impact that all that stuff is doing to the customer. But when you're in sales and you see the direct impact of, of, of a bad meal, uh, you know, a slow, you know, a, a feature that wasn't right or whatever it is, and you get that direct feedback, you, you, you feel that. And so you have empathy for the client, even though you're trying to, you know, do everything you can to get paid in every way you can. Right. So I think it just gives you a different perspective than most. There is, there was so many great things in that. There's two things that I want to pull out that I think that correlate to some of the principles that I actually put in the book, but like one, um, the customer doesn't care. 
customer does not, your problems are your problems. What you learn there as a server is that whatever is going on in the back of the house is going on in the back of the house. And that person that's expecting food from you doesn't care about that. And you're the face of that. And you have to be able to own it and you have to be able to Mm -hmm. kind of turn that around. The second thing um, that you said was that uh, there's this whole service aspect of being a server, right? The service aspect, meaning that your Mm -hmm. job is to give people what they want not put, you know, in sales, people think that some people on the outside and people even in the profession struggle with thinking that your job is to push something on people. We're pushing something on the we're, we're pushing something that they may or may not want. No, your job is to understand and figure out what it is that they want, what's going to make them happy yep. and deliver that to them, yep. which is something that you learned, you learned as a server. And I got to tell you, until you just said all of that, I never really thought about all of those, that great connective tissue between that, um, that profession and what it is that we do. So I love that. I'll give you, I'll give you one more drop Bring on it. that, that I learned that I think is, that I think is really important. Cause I believe this to my core. <clears throat> I believe life is about expectation setting. If you think of the last time you were pissed off about anything. Okay. <clears throat> I almost guarantee it's cause your expectations were misset, mm-hmm. Right. Like, say you go into the office in the morning at 7.30 in the morning, whatever, you hit traffic, right? Well, you don't like traffic, but you expect traffic. But if you come home off a red eye at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're coming out of the city and you hit hit traffic, you're pissed because you were not expecting traffic, right? So for me, this is the way I look at it, right? Say you go into a, a, a waiter, right? Say you go into a restaurant, and you could tell the restaurant's crazy busy, right? Like bananas busy Friday night. You could tell they're in the weeds. You know, they're probably understaffed, right? Well, there's two options that a waiter or waitress has. One option is they come up to you and say, hey, thank you so much for coming in today. We're super busy right now. I I really apologize. It's going to take me about 10, 15 minutes to get to your order here. I'm going to make sure you get some bread and water, but it's going to take me a little while. So I apologize for that, but I'll be with you as soon as I can, right? So that's one option. Somebody comes right up to you, sets real clear expectations. The other option is the the, the waiter doesn't do that. They wait the 10 to 15 minutes to come and take Mm -hmm. your order. Which one are you happier with? Now, mind you, notice you get your order taken at the exact same time. 15 minutes after you get sat down, your order is taken. So the result is the Mm -hmm. same. Which waiter or waitress are you happier with? The one who came to you and said, hey, it's going to take about 10 to 15 minutes and I'll try to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you get some water, whatever it is. Or the person that said nothing, but still came to you. Absolutely the, the first time. one. Which one are you? Absolutely the first one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? So because that second one, what are you doing, right? After about five minutes, yep. you're like poking your head up, like looking around, like, excuse me, do we have somebody here, right? And, and you're, you're already annoyed. But if the person, all they have to do is come up to you and say, hey, look, I'm so sorry, we're really busy, right? Now you're like, all right, cool, it kind of sucks, but let's have a conversation, you know, then you talk with the person. So it's, I think that's a way in sales. I think that's a way in life. I think, it, I, th- I think a lot about it, right? So like going back to expectation setting, if your product is not perfect, set the expectation, right? But focus on the stuff that is. If you're really expensive, don't try to build value all the way through your stupid value proposition and then pop up this massive number that, that gives them a, like a heart attack and makes them feel like an idiot and feel like they're cheap because they can't mm-hmm. afford it. Like try to get that at least a framework out of the way up front, right? So I like people say, oh, don't say anything or get it out of the way so you don't waste time. Well, no, 
but like give a range though. Be like, hey, Ron, based on what you're telling me here, like let me give a little bit of insight. Like let me gather some brief information, right? Based on that, you're probably in the range of like you know yeah. thirty to forty thousand dollars. Like is that is that in line? Is that in line with what you'd expect to pay for something like this? Because if you're way off, let, let's stop having this yeah. conversation. It's not worth wasting our time here. So that's one of the things I learned. As I a love that is, too. Is and putting my decision maker hat on because that's how I look at the sales process too. Like not just as someone that is you know, a practitioner of sales, but you know, I'm also a guy that's been, that is, and been a DM for a very long time. Right. I'm the guy that sits in front of, has salespeople come and sit in front of me. So like that sort of approach to me, I appreciate because I don't want my time wasted. That's the most valuable thing to me. Right. And so setting proper expectations right off the bat, like I, to me it is, is, is respecting my time. Um, so I, I so I mm-hmm. love that. All right. So Man, you know I could sit and talk to you for like three, four, five hours, bro. But I, I promise you guys, <laughs> listen to this, we won't go three or four or five yeah. hours. But I could. Yeah. We could. All right. Um, so, you know, the book, um, part of what we talk about is is there's a couple experiences in there where I talk about how someone you know made an impact in my life um, and my mm-hmm. business, just how, how I see business, my philosophy on business and sales. And so um, we all have these experiences and some of them are like official mentorships and some of them are, you know, just a casual piece of advice or something like I share in the book. Um, I would like you to share with our audience one of these moments and it could be, again, an official mentorship or could just be something Mm -hmm. that happened casually that impacted the way that you view. You already shared some great ones, but something else that impacted the way that you view sales and business and, and your philosophy, you know, to this day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got a bunch of people, I don't have like formal mentors, right? Like I'd say Jeff Hoffman my, is probably my, the closest thing I have to a mentor mentor, mm-hmm. right? Cause he's, he's the one who started Basho and he's been there, done that doing the same game as me. And he's about seven or eight years older than me. So he's really somebody I look to a lot, but if you're looking for like a, a mm-hmm. moment, I would say the moment is goes back to when I got fired from Staples. Um, so try to make this real quick. Um, my little, we still, my first company, 2007 outsourced it services company. We were self-funded. I was, you know, 23 years old, had no idea what we were doing. So, but we ended up growing real fast and, and fastest growing company in Massachusetts. And then we got bought by Staples. And when I got bought by, when we got bought by Staples, we did an interview, right? And I was probably 28 years old. And I, we had never been acquired before. So we had an ex- a consultant come in and tell us like, okay, this is what to expect when they go through this interview process, blah, blah, blah. And I was a minority shareholder. So I wasn't like the founder, founder. So I didn't want to fuck this up. Right. So I, and, and, but the problem with me is like, I, I'm pretty transparent. Like I, I'm a terrible mm-hmm. liar. So, so I'm sitting there and this guy, Jay Baitler sat in front of me and did an interview. It was one-on-one with all the management. Right. And he's like, Hey John, so what do you think of this? And, you know, what do you think of the acquisition? And I would, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, this is, uh, I don't know, man, like you guys are going to chew us up and spit us out and probably fire us all here in six months. Like that's what's happening in the back of my head. But what I said to him was like, no, I can't, ex- that is so exciting, right? I can't wait for this and blah, 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 blah. And it was funny because after that, he met with my CEO and my CEO was like, what'd you think of the management team? And the guy was like, oh, you got a great management team. He's like, yeah, there's one guy I'm a little bit concerned about though. And it's John. And my CEO almost shit his pants. He was like, what? He was like, literally out of all the people I thought you were going to have a problem with, John was the last. Like, cause I was the, I was the blood of the company. Like you cut my arm, I bled mm-hmm. blue. I, I, I ran the, I, like, you know, we have this raving fan culture. I would stand up every single month and give a rah-rah speech to everybody and everything else. Right. 
but he was like, nah, I don't think he's the mm. guy. Now, what that set me off was a, was a downward spiral because he didn't like me up front, but Jim, but my CEO fought for me to kept, keep me, right? So year goes by and it was just a disaster, right? I fought everything about it because it just, because what I didn't realize was I just did not fit in the corporate culture, right? And I, and I did not fit in a box. And so long story short, they fire me, right? And, and Jay is the one who ultimately fires me. And so after having a real crisis of conscience, being like, holy shit, what does that mean? Whatever. And, and really being in a dark spot, I reached out to him and I said, hey, Jay, you know, for my own personal professional development, you know, would you just be open to a, a meeting with me so I can understand what happened here so I can learn from it moving forward? And when I tell you he was so open to it, he was like, when I showed up at his office, he was like, John Barrows, get in here. And I'm like, uh-oh, right? And he's like, look, he goes, I, I, one of my favorite things to do is mentor young leaders. The fact that you reached out to me for feedback after what happened to you tells me more about you than I knew in a year working mm. with you. He goes, you have an hour of my time. What do you want to talk about? I was like, Jay, I got 10 questions for you. You can be as open and honest as you want with me about this, right? And you don't. He's like, I will be as open and right. And in that hour was my MBA, basically. And one of the questions was, would you have been open to a meeting like this when I was, when I was working for you so we could have this conversation? And he goes, well, yeah, of course I would have. Why, why not? And I'm like, and mind you, this is coming from a guy who ran a 12 billion with a B part of the organization of Staples. Like this guy's baller, right? And so I go, well, I, don't, I, I wasn't really allowed to, Jay. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, well, Jay, you know, Jim was kind of protecting me because I like, so I fit, he's like, well, John, I'm going to ask you a question. He goes, what's the risk? And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? What's the risk? The risk is I come and I talk to you and you get pissed off at me and you fire me. And, and you know, yeah, I got people that depend on me, my team and all this other stuff. He goes, John, let me ask you something. Say, I'm going to paint two scenarios for you. Say you, co say you go over your boss's head, right? While we were working together, you go over your boss's head and you try to ask for a meeting like this. And I just tear you apart. I rip you apart. I go back to your boss. I'm like, who the hell is this kid? Whatever it is. And I tear you apart. He goes, would you have wanted to work for me at that point? And I'm like, well, no. He goes, well, then do you think you would have made your own decisions on how to get out of here and made it, maybe made an easier plan for yourself? I was like, yeah, probably. He goes, now let me flip it around. He goes, what if you had this meeting and it went like this? It went really well, well, and we got a lot out of this. He's like, do you think your life here over the past year would have been a little bit easier? I was like, well, yeah. He goes, I'm going to ask you again, what's the risk? Mm. And I was like, damn. And so what now that changed my whole philosophy on decision-making because it, it stopped being um, basically now what I ask myself is what's the worst case mm -hmm. scenario? Like if I go do something, what's the worst case scenario? And if I'm okay with the worst case scenario, I'll do it. If I'm not okay with the worst case scenario, I'll try to come up with another plan. And just to put a cap on this one, fast forward, I got the opportunity to, to work for Jack Welsh, like GE Jack Welsh, um, to help his online MBA program get off the ground. And so I was working for him. And so I had a chance to work for them and they would look for references. And guess who, guess who I gave Jack Welsh, uh, guess who I gave as a reference, right? Jay Baitler. And you know what Jack, you know what Jay Baitler said to Jack Welsh when Jack Welsh called him and said, should I hire John Barrows? He goes, you'd be an idiot if you wow. don't hire John Barrows. So what's the risk? Let's, let's be a tactical here. Cause I know your crew looks like tactical stuff. You, you, you know, you're sitting there, you're sitting at our main, you know, your main point of contact. Okay. You got to get to power. You know, you got to get to power, right? What's the risk? Mm -hmm. 
if you're doing it for the right reasons, because you found out impact on their timeline and those type of things, and this is going to make a difference for their business, you got to ask yourself, what's the risk of going over this person's head? And if the risk is I lose the deal, if you're okay with that, then fucking do it. But if you're not, figure out another strategy. Mm, I love that, man. And that's, you know, that's something that I've often said to my sellers over the years, like you can't lose what you don't have. <laughs> you know, it's right. kind of like the, right. the reason for doing something like that. Um, because I think in, in the sales process, a lot of, not just in the sales process and business in general, a lot of what can control us, our actions is fear. Right. And that's yep. what controlled your actions there and, and, and kept you from going to Jay sooner uh, is because mm -hmm. you were afraid of, you know, this could happen. And, and, and then he so articulately put it to you that what's what's the worst? What's the risk? What could what could happen in both in both of those outcomes? Once you are able to process that and accept both of those outcomes. Mm -hmm. Well, the fear has gone. I love that. Yep. All right, man. So, yeah. you know, would you have, th th it really sounds like, you know, Jay also checks that box in a major way of someone that like provided some mentorship to you. Um, that was, that was really mm -hmm. impactful. Cause that's, that's part of, you know, our journey as, as sellers and as business people, but especially in, in sales, because, you know, you can't, the stuff that you're talking about right now, like you didn't learn that at the university of Maryland. And you couldn't have learned that at the University of Maryland. It takes oh, damn, no. mentorship. It takes someone either, you know, officially or, you know, kind of like, like Jay did to, to, to help us to be the best person that we can be. So, dude, I love that. Um, so you are Mr. Tactical. Um, clearly, you're great at telling stories as well. You've got tons of great stories. But you're also, one, one of the things I love about you is that your tactical advice and direction is, is on point. Like, um, so, you know, and that's someone that is a true practitioner that's in the game. Those are the, those are the people that I believe provide the best sort of tactical direction and, and advice. So we've already got one nugget. I would love it if you would drop <laughs> one more like sales nugget, something that someone can take from this podcast and apply it to their business and start to see some sort of positive result. Yep. Yeah, so this one's, I'll give you my favorite. Um, and you can actually Google Jay Barrow's favorite nugget on this one, but it's it's a real simple one. Um, it's I call it the summary email. Um, the way it works is this, is that you and I have a conversation today, I know, and um, say you're trying to sell to me. It, it, it's not that I'm lying to you, right? It, it's just, I, I got so many things going on right now, right? So you and I have this conversation. Two weeks later, I don't remember this conversation, quite mm -hmm. frankly, right? So for you to try to hold me accountable two weeks later, a week later about what we talked about, I actually think that's kind of rude. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I've had 55 conversations. What did we talk about again? So holding people accountable and also making sure that you maintain urgency throughout the sales process. This, and this will help you without go, get, with, not get ghosted as well. So what you do is you got to let them know it's coming, right? So right at the end of a conversation, you go like this. Hey, Ronald, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Some next steps and action items here. Before I go ahead and do all that, though, what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly summarize what I was able to gain from our conversation today. I'm going to send it over to you in a quick email. Could you do me a favor? Just email me back to let me know if it's all accurate and if I missed anything, right? And so you, you set this up, you have to let them know it's coming because if you don't, the response rates drop through the floor. But if you do, then right after you get off that phone, do not write a book here, okay? This is just a this is not a chance for you to reiterate your value proposition. This is purely to confirm what you heard from them. 
and and the core stuff like hey thanks and so the email goes hey thanks for your time run out you know below is a brief summary could you email me back uh, current situations, this, your timelines, this, the impact of this problem is this, you know, the decision-making process is this, these are the next steps, like five, six, seven mm-hmm. bullet points right there. Right. And then you look for that response back. Now I'll tell you this right now. I only get about a 25, 30% response rate on that one. Okay. Um, even when I tell you it's coming. Um, but what I realize is people, first of all, of the 25, 30% response that I get back, I get about an 80 to 90% close ratio on those deals. Of the ones I don't get back, I get about a 30 to 35% close ratio. So 35 is pretty good, but 90 is way better, right? Or 80 is way better. It also tells me power. People above the power line typically have no problem responding to that email because they know lying's a waste of time and you just basically did their job for them, right? No, I mean, when's the last time an executive took notes during mm-hmm. one of your meetings, right? But people below the power line, they have a hard time responding to that one because they're just, because they, it's not that they're lying to us. It's just that they know their lives change so often that they don't want to confirm to anything in writing. So now say you get it back, right? So first of all, if you don't get a response back, your spidey senses should be up. It's not a red flag. It's a yellow flag if you don't get a response back. But then when you do get a response back, well, now you got something to hold them accountable. So now if they ghost you, right? Hey, um, you know, say, say that conversation was on Monday and then Friday we had a follow-up call, right? And you, you, you straight up ghost. Well, then I'm going to be assumptive on Monday. I'm going to be like, hey, I'm not sure what happened on Friday. When do you want to reschedule, right? And then I'll call you probably on Wednesday. Hey, Ronell, when do you want to get back on the calendar, whatever? And then I'll probably send you another email. You reply all to it a bunch of t- like a couple of times, right? And then after a straight up ghost, and this is after a discovery and there's meat on that bone, you take that email, reply all to it one more time, and you say, you change the subject line and say, still interested? And you say, hey, Ronell, could you just let me know if you're still interested either way so I don't continue with unnecessary follow-up? And that's a good phrase right there. So I don't continue with unnecessary follow-up, letting you know I'm going to continue with unnecessary <laughs> follow-up, right? We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And then if you don't respond to that when I reply all, like a couple of days later, I reply all one more time. And I say, did I, and I put in the subject line, did I lose you? And that's it. And then when you open up this, the email, this is a signature file and the other five emails down there, I get about a 90% response rate on that one. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. It's about 50-50. It's about 50%. Uh, sorry, John, gone in a different direction. The other 50%, sorry, man, been super busy. Let's get back on track. But that summary email leads to, it's the best way to connect the dots between all the different, uh, think about uh, SDR, makes some cold calls, gets a decent conversation, summarizes that conversation, CCs the AE. So now all that conversation is right there. So the AE doesn't have to requalify. AE has a conversation, summarizes the thing, flips it over to an SE. As an SE comes in, all that stuff's there. The client's confirmed it. When the SE finishes up and the AE closes it, it flips over to the CS. CS now has a whole documented thing where the client has confirmed of all the priorities and everything along the way. It's a real easy thing to do that connects all the dots and makes all the difference in the world. And I love it. And you said that um, first, great job in really detailing that out for folks. So if, if, if you need to listen to that again, please do so. <laughs> Hit that rewind, go back a couple or, of times and pick that up. Google, but it's online. Google J Barrows. Yes. Yep. J, get, J, Google J Barrows. Um, favorite nugget and also Jay Barrow's qualification call follow-up process. That's the ghosting one. So if you do Jay Barrow's qualification call follow-up process, you'll find a blog where I write that all in detail. Okay. So guys, we'll also have this in the show notes as well. So in case you, you know, you're hard of hearing, (laughs) sometimes we'll we'll make sure it gets you taken care of. Listen, JB, this has been a blast, man. It really has. And, you know, I, I would say that, this this one has been um, special on 
on a few different re, or a few different wavelengths for me. Um, one because you know we're about the same age, so like there's this whole like like similar <laughs> path there uh, that I can really relate yeah. to. So um, I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, I appreciate what you've the tactical. Um, direction that you bring you're bringing for the audience and i appreciate what you're doing out in the world man and just just know that there are people that that are watching that are paying attention clearly you you know you've got tons of followers out there but you got folks that maybe don't aren't checking the box as followers that are out there checking for you and rooting for you and appreciate what you do for the profession. And I'm one of those. So my guy, this has been a blast. Tell me what's the best way that I, you know, funny thing is this is a dumb question for you. I'm, usually I say, tell me the best way people can get holy, man. If you guys have a hard time getting a hold of JB, I don't know like what you're doing. Just if you, if you go into Google and you put in J, it comes up. It's crazy. Like I would think Jay Z comes up, or you know, I don't know, Jay Moore, another New England guy, <laughs> but no, it's John look, Barrels. Look, I, you know, yeah, you look LinkedIn, yeah, but unfortunately, humble brag, this sucks. Uh, you know, I've I've reached the limit, so I can't make any connections on on LinkedIn. But I got uh, Instagram. If people want free consulting or training, John M Barrows, B A R R O W S, hit me up at any time. I'll be able to answer any questions that you got. And if you're looking for training, I got some fire stuff here and you can email me directly at John, J-O-H-N at jbarrows.com, the letter J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. And I will give you everything that you need to get to that next level of your career here in sales. There it is. Thanks for having me. My guy, JB, John Barrows, JB Sales, Sell Better by JB Sales. I appreciate you, my guy. And uh, look forward to the next opportunity that we get to talk. Hey, listen, guys. If you didn't pull anything from this episode, first of all, rewind it and listen to it again. But if you didn't pull anything, anything at the very least, I need you to remember this. Say less, sell more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Ronnell, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Shut the Hell Up and Sell podcast. If you liked it, please rate us five stars on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. And while you're at it, punch that subscribe button. That way you get notified every time we drop a brand new episode. Hey, I'd also appreciate it if you went to our website, shutthehelluponsell.com and became a member. It's absolutely free. And you'll have the opportunity to listen to previous episodes of our podcast, check out some of our free courses, get a copy of the book, and we'll send you sales tips and motivational nuggets from time to time. Lastly, if you'd like to book me for either appearances or speaking engagements, just send an email to my team at team at shutthehelluponsell.com.